Today's scripture comes from the books of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 40 through 45, and John 16, 13 through 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 40 through 45. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one of kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from stars in glory. So is it with the treasure of the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. John 16, 13 through 15. When the spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. We are in a, in a big series, and we are actually at a very important juncture of that series. The series is called Union with Christ. And last week, I began um, a shift in this series. Early in this series, I gave you a, a, a very simple definition of union with Christ. That is, that you are in Him, and He is in you. You are in Jesus Christ, if you give your life to him and you believe in him, and Jesus Christ is in you. That's a, that's, a, that's a very true statement, and it's a simple statement, but last week I took you into a deeper understanding. You know, there's a lot of things in life that on the outside look simple, but when you start to get into it, it actually looks like stranger and more complicated, and guess what? The reality of salvation is not different than that. On the outside, you know, I can give you a simple definition that any child could kind of like basically understand. I'm in Jesus and Jesus is in me. Right? But last week I kind of showed you some of the complexities of how different people understand that. And I went through, you know, just, just not, not that I'm going to like review all that, but how some people think that it's primarily a legal union. It is a legal union. It is not less than a legal union, but it is not only a legal union. It is a legal union, but it's more, right? And I said to you that it is a relationship, and that inside of the relationship, you're united. And I gave you this picture of kind of like a husband and a wife, there's a relationship, or a brother and a sister, there's a relationship, and there's a union inside of that relationship. It is a relationship, but there's more. It is not less, but it is more than that. And then I gave you another possibility, to, which was, uh, it's covenantal. So here's covenantal. There's two parties. There's a legal, they're legally bound together. There's a relationship which changes their identity. I mean, before I, I married Grace, I was just a single guy named Susong. But now I'm the husband of Grace Park. My identity changed. And that relationship is now overseen by God. There's always three parties in a covenant. So 
new identity, new relationship. It is legal. It is relational. It is overseen by God. All right? That's covenant. Is that true? It is true. But there's more. <laughs> and then I gave you one more, which is that some people said that it's a mystical union. In other words, there's something real that connects me and Jesus since I believe in Jesus. There's, a, there's something real there. We can't quite see it. We don't have some other kind of language for it. It's real, but it's mysterious. And the theologians have called that mystical union. But I said, that's true, but it's not that helpful. <laughs> okay? It's not that helpful. And I gave you um, the answer, which I think is the most profound answer. It's from the Bible. Strangely, a lot of churches have kind of not taught this. And I think it's tremendous. It's absolutely tremendous. And if you can start to uh, receive this and, and, and live inside of it and believe it, I think it will do incredible things for your faith and for your, for your faith walk in Christ. And that is that what exactly is our union? How are we united to Jesus? The way John Calvin puts it is the bond of union to Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, God himself is the bond to God himself, the second person of the, son, of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God. So how are you united, kind of bonded, as, the, as John Calvin says, to Jesus Christ? By the Holy Spirit himself. That's the answer I gave you. And today I want to go further into that. And so let's get at it, okay? Part one. The resurrected Jesus in you through the Spirit. All right? The resurrected Jesus in you through the Spirit. Okay? Part two. The eternal heavenly version of you. You know, there's a version of you. It's, it's kind of already, it's going on in you. And... One day, if you could see the full totality of, the, of who you are, are and could be, you would be amazed. It'd be so beautiful and so wonderful and so glorious. But right now, every day you're like, I, I, I feel far from glorious. <laughs> I feel mostly earthly and bad, right? And I want to talk to you about the eternal, heavenly version of you. And part three, I want to close by talking, talking about prayer. I'm going to call it conversing with Jesus in the Spirit of God. Conversing with Jesus in the Spirit of God. I think knowing that you are united to Christ by the Holy Spirit, it will change your prayer life. It, it did for me. And one of my goals in this series is it will like skyrocket your, your prayer life into a whole new place. Okay? All right, so last week, we're, we're going to talk about this in Congregation meeting. okay, <laughs> outdoor, indoor. Um, last week, I gave you that, I, I just quickly gave you the summary of part one. What exactly is the bond of union in our intro today? And then in part two, I showed you where the Bible teaches it. I gave you two Bible passages um, where it is taught, Ephesians 3 and Romans chapter 8 today. In this first part, 
Let me take you to two more Bible passages. And this first one, it's, 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 I've taught it to you before in, our, in a previous series. In a previous series called um, uh, Most Deeply Human, I taught this passage. But I didn't quite teach it with this idea of union with Christ. And let me get into it, okay? So this is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 40 to 45. This chapter in the Bible is, is, like, is one of the most extensive passages that talks about the resurrection. And the resurrection is not just that Jesus came to earth, lived a holy, just, beautiful, compelling life, but also that we would be united to him so that the life that he has in the resurrection, which conquers sin and death, you and I would share. That's what you get when you believe in Jesus. You share that resurrection life. You will share in the resurrection life by which he conquered sin and death. And so there's this extensive conversation about, I mean, this extensive, you know, like explication in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm just going to take you to an important portion of that verse 40. Okay, so let's, let's go to that, verse 40. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another kind, is of another. There's one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So, um, I taught this before, there's so many... This is not easy to get across. But let me see if I can try to put it to you this way. Um, LeBron James, okay, well, maybe, maybe not today. <laughs> He's kind of declining. He's old. But uh, for the longest time, and maybe still, he's the greatest basketball player on the planet. He may be the greatest basketball player of all time, right? That is an earthly kind of glory. That's a glory of the LeBron James body. You get what I'm saying? But that's an earthly body glory. So you meet another person, like there's somebody inside your company, and they're probably from like, you know, South India, <laughs> okay? And they're an engineer. And you're like, engineer, our city has all kinds of engineers. And you're talking to this person from South India, and it's a slightly funny accent. When you're talking to this guy for a little while, he goes, whoa. I mean, I don't know if you could pick this up, but I, this has happened to me every now and then. And I'm talking to a guy from South India, and I'm talking to him like, uh, wow, I think this guy might be off the chart smart. <laughs> like, this is a city filled with a lot of smart people. And so you regularly meet people whose IQ is way up there, their knowledge level is way up there. And then this guy is, like, above that. <laughs> right? There's basketball players. There's NBA players. Then there's LeBron James. Right? Do you know that in your company, there are engineers, there's Silicon Valley engineers, then there's Apple and Google engineers, and then there's the LeBron James of engineers. <laughs> so every now and then, if you pay attention, and you may not be able to figure this out, there's a glory of an earthly body, and uh, right now it just seems like they come out of India or China, and they might come out, they might be in America. Right. Uh, when, I, when I was an undergraduate, there, there was a young man. Um, he was from uh, one of my uh, dear friends was from um, Minnesota, a poor small town in Minnesota. And he turned out to be one of the guys that made, you know, makes this kind of stuff. So he's like, 
I don't know if he's LeBron James, but he's in that NBA category, okay? Right? That's an earthly kind of glory. So there's bodies. That's like that's the best of the glory of the earthly. You and I know what these are like. Some people are really beautiful. Some people are really, really smart. Some people are really, really fast. Some people have some combination of all those things, right? That's earthly body with earthly glory. But what the Bible says here is that some people have a heavenly body and a heavenly glory. So if you have trusted and given your life to Jesus Christ, you don't know this. Maybe you're not even sure you know this or you have never been taught this. Inside of you is a heavenly body. (laughs) There's a heavenly body inside of you. And there's a heavenly glory inside of you. You know where it comes from? From Jesus. <laughs> so let's, let, let me continue. Verse 42. So here we go. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He has a different kind of glory. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. See, Jesus could not die anymore. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. That's a strange piece of language, spiritual body. And what it means there is not that the body is somehow kind of like, like a, you know, like not a body body, but what it means is this, it's alive by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus had. Jesus, to all the other people on the street when he walked around in first century, you know, in first century, well, they didn't call it Palestine. Today we would call it Palestine. They just saw a man and they saw, well, he's whatever. Maybe, I don't know how tall he was, but maybe he was like five foot eight. <laughs> and uh, maybe he was good looking, but the Bible says he didn't especially look special. He clearly talked, right? And he was a carpenter, so he could work with his hands. So he was actually a working-class guy. And those are the earthly attributes and earthly glories that all the people can see in him, but they did not know that he had a spiritual body. That inside him was the Holy Spirit of God, and there was a glory of heaven, the heavenly glory that was in him, that other people couldn't see, but it was real. Okay? So, let's go back to verse 44. It is sown a natural body. That's what you and I have before you know Jesus. That's the only kind you have. Everybody has a natural body. It's the only kind you can have until you give your life to Jesus and you're united to him. All right? But it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. So who's this referring to? It's talking about the first human being, Adam. You know, Genesis, it's like back there from Genesis 1 and 2. He was dust, and then he became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. A life-giving spirit. Who do you think the last Adam is? That is Jesus. Jesus is a new kind of Adam. It's, 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 a, it's, it's interesting language. The last Adam. 
I think what it means is it's the, the ultimate, I'm going to use a, a fancy theological word, the ultimate eschatological Adam. Eschatos means of the last things, or more accurately means of the ultimate things. So the ultimate Adam, the final, complete, full, new kind of human being was a life-giving spirit. That's the way the risen, resurrected Christ is described, okay? Now just pause for a moment. Let's now go to um, John 16. John chapter 16. So this is another place where this is taught. So some people might complain, you're only just going to the Pauline passages. Paul wrote this stuff. Maybe only Paul teaches this. Um, no. Here's, here's, here's the gospel of John. This is actually coming out of the mouth of Jesus. These are the ex exact words of Jesus. So John chapter 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, Jesus is saying this, okay? And, you know, the gospel of John is written by a different apostle. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. That's the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me. It's a strange thing. Remember, Jesus hasn't been crucified. He hasn't been risen yet. So can you just imagine somebody... <laughs> if you ever had like a past, pastor come to you and says, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he's going to tell you all truth. And he's going to glorify me. So if the day that I say that, that that's the day when you're like, doo -doo. okay, that's the day. We, we need to fire him. <laughs> or need to get him some serious counseling because he's gone crazy. But when Jesus says it, he's either crazy or he's telling you something absolutely incredible. All right? He, that is the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. And listen to this next part. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will take what is mine. All, I've, been, I've been teaching you to receive all of the benefits of Christ through union with Christ by faith. So all that is in Christ, the Holy Spirit will declare to you. Verse 15, Jesus goes further. All that the Father has is mine. Okay, now it gets even crazier. We have a man who is saying everything, and everybody knows when we talk about the Father, we're talking about God. Everything that is God's, it actually belongs to me. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I want you to just sit on that for a sec. What is the Holy Spirit doing? Everything that is Jesus, he's here to declare it and give it to you. This is yours. It's yours. The Holy Spirit comes. If you give your life to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will come and make his home in you, will come to dwell you, will come to tabernacle in you. That means he's not visiting, okay? The Holy Spirit is not coming to be a visitor and, like, have dinner with you <laughs> and then take off. The Holy Spirit is coming to say this is now permanent address. That's you. And what is his activity? To take that which is belongs to Christ and all that which has belonged to Christ, the Father has given to him and to declare it to you. Okay? Now, what I'd like to do, um, I'm going to 
read you a quote, and then I'm going to go into part two, all right? This is from my professor at Westminster Seminary. He's still alive. He's, he's an old man now. He's one of the finest Bible um, instructors in the whole world, <laughs> pretty much. Okay, let me, that's kind of a, a, a boast, a big boast. But I, I've read all the big boys, okay? So just in my not-so-humble opinion, Richard Gaffin is among, he's like, NBA best of theologians, okay? He's up there. He's really, really, his writing is not that easy to follow sometimes, okay? So I try to make this quote a little simpler, but still have its core content. So follow this. This is from his book, By Faith, Not By Sight, okay? And here's how he puts it. He alone, he is Christ, okay? Jesus Christ alone is the last Adam. So here's, it's the same passage. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 45, while in his resurrection, he is the first exemplification of the spiritual body that all believers will have, that believers will also have. He and he alone is the life-giving spirit. Jesus is the life-giving spirit. That is, as noted in an earlier dis, uh, dis, um, in discussing union with Christ, in his resurrection, he has been so thoroughly transformed by the Holy Spirit and has come into such complete and final possession of the Holy Spirit that consequently, they, that is Christ and the Spirit, are one in the work of giving resurrection life, of bestowing eschatological life, that ultimate kind of life. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the church and as he indwells all believers is the indwelling presence of the exalted Christ in his resurrection life and power as Romans 8 also shows. I preached to you Romans 8 last week. Now let me say one more thing about this just, just trying to help you understand what he's saying. There's a lot of people who just think Jesus is God. He's the son of God. And since he's God, he can just do what he wants because he's God, right? That's not how salvation works. Jesus, the human being, must conquer sin and death. And thus, his human life can now be imparted to other human beings so that they can have a human life which conquers sin and death. Let me say that again. Jesus is the Son of God. That's absolutely true. And in his divinity, he has total power. But actually, that's not how salvation can be accomplished. Salvation has to come from a human being that conquers sin and death. And since none of us could do it, the Son of God did, came to be a human being for us, but now he has to live the life we should have lived, have the righteousness we should have had, he should have the obedience and the trust and the justice and the mercy and the love, which none of us have enough, but he had in spades. So that there could be a human being that could conquer sin and death. And then in that humanity, the Holy Spirit can now take that humanity and give it to all of the human beings. That's the work of the ultimate eschatological Adam, that's Jesus. So when you put your faith in Jesus, you're united to him 
so that that brand, that new kind of ultimate last out of humanity can come into you. <laughs> and in fact, take that old dying kind and kill it, and you can become this new you. Okay? Let's go to part two. You know, um, I, I think it's very important, you know, like this is, you know, I, I want you to just chew on that for a little bit. So many people think God is up there and Jesus is also God, which is true. But if you only think that Jesus is God, you only have half the truth. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's fully human. And only insofar as he is both fully God and fully human can he impart to us the kind of life that you and I need. Right? Because here's the thing. When God made human beings in his image, one of the things he would not do is just say, I'll just fix you by the snap of my finger. <laughs> See, look, if God could just fix you with just almighty power, if we could do that to another human being, they wouldn't be human. If I could fix you, let's say you come to me and you're like, I'm an angry person. I'm an angry person, and I always just blow up at my kids when they do the smallest little thing. And so, could you help me with that? And I'm like, well, well, yeah, I mean, I got superpowers. <laughs> just show up, give me some money because, you know, I'm not going to do this for free. And I'm going to do some hocus pocus, bang, I'll zap you, and you'll be fixed. Now, some of you think, dude, that'd be awesome. Do that. You know what? God won't ever do that. God won't ever do that. You know why? Because now there's a fundamental part of your humanity which has now been kind of overridden, which is the reason you're angry is that you have to be in your full mind and your full heart and in your full character. You yourself must have a love and a joy and a righteousness which conquers sinful anger. If you can't conquer sinful anger with your own mind and your own heart, and what we just do is we kind of just, you know, because what we could do is we could take you to the doctors, we could lobotomize you, because that's the other way we could do it. We could lobotomize you, and that portion that gets all ragingly angry, we could fix it. But I bet you after we fix it, you would be less than you. You hear what I'm saying? So when God made you and me in his image, he didn't make like a program. He didn't make like an animal that he's going to go in there and like I can just you know, ch change out some of the molecules and I'll fix you. He made something so glorious in the full totality of your mind, heart, will, and all your gifts and how you use them, there should be a heavenly glory. See, a glory that is of heaven. That's why the real glory of the heavenly is righteousness, humility. It is love, right? So because we're very earthly, you know, LeBron James, you're awesome, dude. Oh, you're the smartest engineer. Oh, you're awesome. We'll pay you a million dollars because you're the LeBron James of engineers. And then we meet another person who is so holy, will love the poor, will forgive, will love people beyond all measure, and we, we don't even care what that person is. <laughs> We're just like, okay, that's nice. That's a really cool person. 
But yeah, okay, let me hang up. LeBron. Because we are filled with the darkness of earthly glory. But when the true heavenly glory shows up, like people aren't even interested. It's really weird, but that's the case. And that's what happened when Jesus showed up. The real heavenly body, the ultimate man, showed up. And you know what human beings did? Murdered him. That's what they did. And don't think that's some kind of judgment on first century Jews and Romans. I think that's exactly what we would do today. That's exactly what we would do today. But what is God trying to do in you and me? Put that heavenly glory in you and me. <laughs> and he's not, he cannot do it by like snapping his finger, what I call zap theology. <laughs> I call that zap. Zap theology is childish theology. <laughs> so the way you can only be saved is if a, a, a more profound humanity comes into you and reshapes you and gives you this new humanity, which is like that of the human Christ who is life-giving spirit. That's why it has to happen this way. And if you give your life to Jesus, you become united to him. You're like, okay, that's cool. But he's up there in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and like he's far away, and I'm bopping around down here by myself, and I'm kind of failing and falling down, and I'm getting angry, and I'm getting like fearful, and I'm getting depressed, and I'm you know, getting lustful and vengeful and all the other things that, like, that I am, right? But here's the incredible thing. He who you thought was far away, he who you thought was far away has been brought near by God himself the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So, I'm going to teach you something really that seems really, really simple. And I hope you never forget this. It sounds simple, but it's actually super advanced. I'm, I, I, it's like it's, a, it's advanced Christianity, okay? I don't know how your mind works. Some of you are like this. I'm down here. And somehow I have to get to Jesus. I don't know if I could do that. I suck too much. I can't get to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will take you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit who's in you will take you to him. He'll take you, he who you think is far away, sitting at the right hand of the Father, he'll take you and bring you right near to him. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. Okay? Okay, well, that sounds cool. Well, let, let me flip it. Some of you are this way. I need Jesus to come down and be near me. It's like there's no way I'm ever going to get to Jesus. So I really need Jesus to come down here and be next to me. The Holy Spirit will do that for you. Which is the way you think? You're down here and you wish you could get up to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will do that for you. You're down here, and you wish Jesus would come down to you. The Holy Spirit would do that for you. Guess what? When? When? I'm just trying to teach you. It doesn't matter how, which way you think. If you think this way, you're kind of one of these temperamental people, like, I'm generally down here, and like, man, you know, like, Jesus is far away, so I'm going to like, you know, like, do my little sinful stuff. Oh, dang it. I don't want to be like that. <laughs> right? You know? Uh, gosh, you know? So what I really need 
is I need Jesus to be near me all the time. You know, I walk in a department store and I just start coveting things left and right. And I want to buy this and I want to buy that. I want to buy this and I want to buy that. I look down on that person and I'm like, oh, your clothes are ugly. I'm better than you. And then you go, but if Jesus is right here with me, I would go, oh, that's stupid. Let's not be like that. <laughs> and some of you are saying, but I'm always down here in the muck and the crud and the, the grossness. And the, and, the, and, the, and the anger and the pride and the greed. And if I'm down here, I'm always kind of like in that. What I wish is somehow I could be taken up there to the heavenly, and then the heavenly will surround me. And if I go up there, I'm with Jesus, and I'm surrounded in his heavenliness, in his heavenly glory, and I'm enveloped in his heavenly glory. Somehow I'm taken up to the heavenly glory, even though I'm still walking around down here in this department store, then I, I won't be such a cruddy person. <laughs> Which way is it for you? And what I'm trying to tell you is, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Because the bond of union to Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will take that resurrected, that resurrected ultimate humanity and put it right here. He's not, it's not even just right here. Like, so I, I think I actually literally... Well, I've told you guys this, and you probably think it's kind of cute when I tell you this, but I'm going to tell you it ain't cute. I'm driving around, and then I start getting, like, stressed out about something in my, in my life. Maybe it's in my personal life. Maybe it's in ministry. I might even be stressed about one of you. <laughs> so I'm fearful for one of you. So I'm like, what are we going to do for her, Lord? I mean, like, come on. Jesus, you know, I'm, I'm only so good as a pastor, right? And so, what are we going to do for her? And then, and then, you know what I remember? I remember Jesus near. And then I look through the seat on my right. Oh, there's stuff there. Oh, okay, sorry, Jesus. I actually, well, at the next stop, I pull that, and then I throw that stuff in the back. Sorry, that was rude. <laughs> Let me just stop for a moment. Is that cute? You know, when you were a kid, if you had an imaginary friend, and people actually caught you talking to your imaginary friend. That's so cute. That's like not real. But they talk to this imaginary friend. I bet you if some kid talks to an imaginary friend versus never talking to anybody. If, let's say they had no friends. But they had an imaginary friend. And then there was another person who had no friend and never talked to anybody, not even an imaginary friend. What do you think are the odds that the, the kid who talks to the imaginary friend will turn out to be a better adult? I bet you the odds are really, really high that the kid who has an imaginary friend will turn out to be a better adult than the kid who got no friends and talks to nobody. Because if you don't talk to anybody, you know who you talk to? Yourself. And the only friend you got is you. And guess what? There are days you are good and you're humble and lasts about an hour. Okay? And then the next couple hours, it's all about you. It's all about you. I'm so great. I'm so great. And you're filled with you, that I'm so great you. And then the next day you do something bad, or your friend tells you you're ugly, something comes across, and now you tell you how ugly you are. It's not a good way to go. But what if you had a great imaginary friend? <laughs> Your imaginary friend was always just great to you. I bet you that kid will turn out much better than the kid who got no friend who always talks to himself. I bet you. Okay? And I'm talking, we're not talking about an imaginary friend. 
What if the friend is not imaginary? What if the friend is real? And what if the friend is real and is the ultimate last Adam, the eschatological ultimate humanity who conquers sin and death, and his humanity will become you so that the version of you, the very best version of you, can start today, 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 not after you die. That's what we're talking about here today, okay? And if you're a person who goes like, I'm not close to Jesus, say, Holy Spirit, help me be close to Jesus. And every time you read the Bible, you're going to be like, oh, I never get anything out of the Bible. So you read the Bible once, I didn't get anything out of it. You read the Bible a second time, I'm too stupid, I don't get anything out of it. <laughs> you read it a third time, wait a second. There were 10 verses, and verse 4 said something. The other nine verses didn't say anything. But verse 4 was like, it kind of like lit up. And somehow, it started to make sense in my mind. That's the Holy Spirit taking you to Jesus. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Let's close. Conversing with Jesus in the Spirit. I want to talk about prayer to close this message. What is the most fundamental activity of the Christian life? It's prayer. But I don't even like calling it prayer because that sounds like a religious activity. It's actually just conversation. Prayer is conversation. Because human beings are fundamentally social. You can never be you apart from other people. If you just stop talking to anybody else and listen to anybody else, you are going to become something, like you're probably going to become a monster. You're going to become something awful. And if you only talk to other people that are bad for you, how long do you think it'll take before you start turning into something bad? So let's just give you a couple examples. You ever met a young woman or an older woman who had an abusive boyfriend? You ever met somebody who had an abusive boyfriend? I'm not even talking about hitting her. I'm talking about just the stuff he says. Stuff he says. Before she met him, she was confident and joyful. Dating him for two years, it wrecked her. It wrecked her. So his spirit... The angry spirit, the judging spirit, the selfish spirit, the using, exploitative spirit was coming into her all the time. How was it coming into her? Through conversation. That's how it was. You're around this person. You're fellowshipping with this person. They talk. You listen. You talk. They listen. And the conversation goes back and forth. And so the abusive boyfriend's spirit comes in and his Nasty, gross humanity comes in and starts to destroy her. Happens all the time. And you may know somebody like that. Maybe you are like that. How about if you had an overbearing mother? Mother, it's always telling you, you have to be this way. You have to be this way. She's always nagging you. She's always controlling you. What about that? And over time, you just like, you're, you're like, she's so strong and she's so powerful. And I, I have met 
men in their 30s and their 40s and their 50s who hate women, who are afraid of women, who cower before women. Because when they were a boy, the most important woman in their life, like in com- it's not even a conversation, it was just oppression, <laughs> control, <laughs> judgment, guilt, fear, all the time, all the time, all the time. So you're in conversation, conversation, which isn't really a conversation. So now, like there are men, grown men, who don't know how to have conversations with women because the only experience they've ever had with women is oppressive control. How about that? Because the spirit of the oppressive, controlling mother was just, uh, just turning and just squashing his manhood into nothing. I mean, there's other examples. You could have a best friend. Maybe some of you had a best friend like this. And your best friend, their best friend's answer for everything was, let's go have a party. <laughs> oh, don't worry about that. You don't have to study. Oh, you don't have to get to work. And it's basically like Friday night, get hammered every night. <laughs> and they tell you lies about it'll be okay. And they're always cutting corners on integrity. They're always cutting cornies. And next thing you know, you're cheating on your exams or you're lying to your boss. And you are in conversation with this version of humanity, which is toxically wrecking you. You know, they say that a person who has had a, a, a drug addiction, one of the things you got to do is get them out of their community. <laughs> you got to get them out of their community. They, they want to get sober. They want to beat heroin addiction or crystal meth or whatever it is, they got to get away from all the other people that they converse with. Okay? So that's the setup. You want to become more heavenly human. Do you want to have the glory of the heavenly in you? It's, it's like it's so simple, but it's hard. You must have conversations with Jesus. Whether you're having conversations with him up there in the heavenly, because that's the way you need it to be, or he's down here close to you, because that's kind of the way you want it to be, it doesn't really matter. And so the problem with so many Christians is that, is that most Christians don't really pray. Or the way they pray is... Like they pray like Pharisees. They learn some prayer. It's quote unquote the right prayer. See, it's right, legalistic, legalism. There's a right way to pray. Say these kinds of words. Uh, you know, like I went to Christian school years ago. Every kid stood up to say, Dear Lord, thank you for this day. And then, like, Dear Lord, thank you for this day. It was like, Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Like, Dear Lord, then, then they had nothing to say. And then they would say, your, your typical blah, blah, blah things that they heard mouth from somebody else. That's not praying. That's not praying, right? Imagine if I came, if my wife came home from work, and I'm like, how was your day? And she's like, say something for this day. And then, you know, like, she, what if she just wanted some weird script? <laughs> she just went to a weird script, and this weird script just popped out of her mouth, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> that is how so many Christians pray, because we pray because we're like, God is far away, and God is big, and God is fearful, and we don't want to screw it up, so then we go into legalism. We go into religiosity. 
And he's sitting there going like, why are you so boring? Because <laughs> like, I never intend, I don't, I'm not interested in your legalism. I'm interested in you. Don't you, in a real conversation, the real person speaks from their real heart to a real person. And they listen to the other person. And then this is how it goes. Right? But the reason most of us don't really pray very well, besides the legalism problem, is this. Because you think he's far. Because you don't think he, he's interested. You don't think he actually listens. And you don't think he's going to speak to you. It would be nice if Jesus just showed up and he and I can go to Phil's Coffee. He would sit down and I would say, Jesus, you know, there's this issue with this person in our church. I'm really worried about him. <laughs> Could you help me out with that? Wouldn't that be nice? Now, if that could actually happen in your life, some of you would be like, that's awesome. And then a bunch of you would be like, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm too scared. I would never want that because I know because you don't even want to like meet with me and I'm just, your, I'm just a pastor. <laughs> like run away and like say all these weird excuses or like when I ask to hang out with you and you're like, mm, whatever. I mean, like imagine if it was Jesus. That's crazy, right? I'm just a dumb schlub pastor and you don't want to like hang out with me. Let them, well, like, well, imagine if it's actually Jesus. But what if it is that you could have that? And he would come close to you. And he would so love you. You're like, well, I can tell him everything. But then what does he actually say back to me? He, I don't have a face there with the mouth talking I could hear. Well, here's how it works. His word is proclaimed either when you read this book or when you listen to the, the schmo that's up here. Okay? When the schmo that's up here preaches you the word that's from this book and takes you to Christ. One Sunday, you're like, he's just a schmo. It's a schmo week. That sucks. <laughs> I hope he finishes soon, and then we can go home. <laughs> and then there's some weeks you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what, what is he saying? And the schmo is talking. But it's really Jesus talking. And when Jesus is talking to you, do you know how it's happening? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like making the words that the Shmo up front is saying, and he is near. Can you believe that? So you converse to him, and he converses back to you. And here's what I want to say to you today. I dare you to do it. Try it. But try it and do it while you believe that you're united to Christ. And the Holy Spirit will take you and make you near up there, or he'll take him and bring you near down. It doesn't matter which way. When I began to believe in this, it utterly changed my faith. It just totally changed my faith. Right? It was crazy. Right? And it was strange. I started seeing weird things start to happen. I started to find out that I asked. I started writing down. I said this to you. I think you said this to me. I think I heard you say this because I'm not exactly sure. I would write it the style. And then you know what happened? Like two weeks later, that thing, I think he already said, like stuff would happen. It would be like 
dude, you really said that, didn't you, Jesus? And once you go through that, uh, cycles of that, you will believe. And you will know he's close to you. You will know he's close to you. Not you will just think or believe it like in some kind of like religiosity. You will know he's close to you just like your best friend. And the heavenly glory will start coming into you and make you more heavenly, which is yours. Let's pray. Lord, we walk through this life and the evidence is there is earthly, toxic humanity in me. That evidence comes up regularly. There's this word, sin, which we don't like. But then we have these other words like toxic. Like, like a common one today is toxic masculinity. <laughs> and that's real. And uh, I think there's a lot of men that goes... Yeah, it's sad to say that there's some toxic masculinity in me, for sure. And that toxicity comes because we are drunk and utterly like fixated upon earthly glories and thinking that's going to fulfill us, that's going to save us, that's going to make me good. But you came to give us heavenly glory and a heavenly humanity and put forth a heavenly body in us, which is of you, Jesus and you're not interested in doing that only in the future. You're doing it now by the Holy Spirit. And we mostly just don't even know about it. And if, even if we do know about it, our faith is weak. But I pray today that this Shmo Susang spoke. And I pray that everything that was really good and true of the gospel and of that great glorious gift of the gospel, union with Christ, would go forward. And everyone who heard today's message would be shaken by the Holy Spirit and say, you too can converse with the ultimate death and sin conquering man. And his heavenly humanity could make them new. I pray that people would believe that, respond to that, and then become new, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.